as us. We're walking through Mark's Gospel. We are just beginning our journey. We have covered chapter 1, and we are coming to understand that Mark um, is writing with information from his father in the faith, Peter, and he is speaking about the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have come to understand through Mark's Gospel in chapter 1 that, that Jesus has authority over Satan, he has authority over the demonic spirits. He has authority over sickness and disease. He even has authority over leprosy. He has authority over the priest. And uh, today we're going to come to understand he also has authority over sin. And he has the only authority that can forgive sin. We are in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And again, he, being Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days. Now, where's he been? Well, he after he healed the leper, and he told the leper, don't go tell anybody what's happened to you, just go show yourself to the priest. That leper disobeyed what Jesus told him to do, and he went out and told everybody what had happened to him and what Jesus had done for him. And as a result, so many people began coming and seeking out Jesus for His healing power, for His miracle-working power, that uh, Jesus could not even go into the city anymore. In fact, He couldn't go into any major city because everywhere He went now, people were flocking to see Him. Well... He's been out in the wilderness areas, and he has been preaching, and he's been teaching in the wilderness. But even while he was in the wilderness, people were coming out to see him. Now he makes his way back to Capernaum. This has been home base. Now we know in Capernaum, there's a couple of guys that live there. Uh, one of them is named Peter. Yeah, Peter lives there in, in Capernaum. Uh, uh, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're all there now in Capernaum. And so Jesus comes back into Capernaum, and apparently he must have done so in the middle of the night, uh, because uh, whenever he makes his way there, the, it's not massive crowds to begin with, uh, but it didn't take very long for word to get out that Jesus is back in town. And it says he entered in Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Let me ask you a question. What do people think about when they think about your house? What have they heard about your house? I'll never forget the first day I had a shocking discovery whenever I went out to the mailbox, and as I was out in the mailbox, between just not quite halfway between my house and the mailbox, you could hear our TV blaring. And all of a sudden, when I get to hear my dad, I say, now I wonder if I've been watching the right shows. I mean, if people are out here and they're walking down the street, and they're hearing what I'm watching. Am I, hearing, or am I watching what I ought to be watching or not? And then I could hear Courtney and Robin yelling, I mean, talking to each other uh, in, in the house. And uh, it got me to wondering, what are people here coming out of our house? Well, question, what are people hearing coming out of your house? Now, in the community that we live in, I think the houses are about 15 feet from each other. It's not that you can kind of reach out and shake hands from house to house if you wanted to. Yeah. So I'm sure whatever goes on out, because I know that, because I can hear what's going on in the other house. 
next door to us. I know if they're home or not. You know, I know what kind of music they like to listen to. All right? What do they hear coming out of your house? Number one, do people know that the Lord Jesus Christ resides in your house? Through their encounters with you, through what they see of you on a daily basis. Now, I get to meet my neighbors at least once a week because once a week, I listen whenever I hear them start pushing their trash out to, you know. Uh, I think the trash guy comes on, what, Tuesday? Is it? Yeah, Tuesday morning. And so I hear them, so I run out there and I push my trash can out when they're out there so I can strike up a conversation with them, you know, and maybe talk about some good things. But, uh, 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 and then Bill... And to May, they were over at the house uh, over the last week or so, and they've been planting flowers out in our planter for us, and I, I sure appreciate that. And I had to make sure the TV was turned down so they could know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, do people know that Jesus is in your house? Now, the house I'm talking about is not the address where you live. I would remind you that once you become born again of the Spirit of God, He comes to live in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Can people tell wherever you are, whether it's in the grocery store, whether it's at the wrestling match where Caleb just did a good job, he's going to be going to state. Uh, uh, if you're out at the, the ballpark, if you're, if you're out you know, doing whatever it is that you do, if you're in bath and body like I was you know, yesterday, can they tell that the Lord Jesus Christ resides in you. Well, they heard that Jesus was in the house and, and immediately many people gathered together. So there was no longer room to receive Him, not even at the door. I mean, they heard Jesus was in town. They heard He was at Pe most probably back at Peter's house where He tended to stay. And, and so now the crowds are flocking and, and you can't even get in the door. And what did Jesus do? Well, he did exactly what it said he did when he was out in the wilderness places. When he was traveling around the Sea of Galilee in those wilderness places, it said he preached unto them. So now that he's got a crowd gathered around his house, what's he doing? He's preaching the Word to them. Now, I have shared this with you. Let me just remind you one more time. We refer to this as the house of God. It really isn't. You're the house of God. This is a place that's been set, uh, de uh, dedicated, sanctified unto the Lord for us to gather in. But anytime you come into this place, I want you to know you're going to hear the Word of God. Not my opinion. You're going to hear the Word of God. You're not going to hear you know, a lot of other stuff that I hear in a lot of other places. You're going to hear the Word of God. And hopefully when people come to visit you, while they're visiting with you, they're also going to Hear the Word, and they're going to be seeing the Word lived out in you and through you. So he preached the Word to them. Then they came to him. Now, who's the they? It's a good question. Let's find out. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through... You want to break through this morning? Here it is. And when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Wow! 
Here's somebody that desperately wanted to get to Jesus. There were these, now Luke tells there's four men. They have a friend. This friend of theirs is paralyzed. Now, how did he get paralyzed? I don't know. He might have been born that way. I don't know. He might have had an accident or a disease or something struck his body and he was paralyzed. Possibly, maybe he was even doing something sinful in the process of doing something sinful. He ends up paralyzed. He could be a quadriplegic. He could be a paraplegic. He's a paralytic. These four men, and probably the man himself, had it in their heart and mind that if they could just get this guy to Jesus, Jesus could heal him. They had absolute faith that Jesus could heal this man of his paralysis. Now question, why did they think that was even possible? Because remember, he was in Capernaum, they're apparently from Capernaum. They had seen Jesus do many miracles. They had seen the miracle working power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had no doubt what he has done for others, they could do for this man. So they try to get him to Jesus. But the crowds were enormous. And they were just like most drivers I've seen here in South Carolina. When you are sitting there on Cane Bay Boulevard and you're trying to, to turn out, you know, you're, you're sitting there, you're in the public's parking lot and you're doing your best to turn out on Cane Bay, nobody is letting you out. I mean, no, you're just, you're just on your own, buddy, and you guys kind of, it's survival of the bravest. You got to stick your nose out there and make your decision. I'm just going and just hope nobody plows through you. Well, here, there, this crowd must have been like folks down here. They were not considerate at all. Each one wanted to get their own healing, or each one wanted to see the show. They were there not primarily because they wanted to hear Jesus teach. See, now when they got there, they were surprised because what Jesus did is He preached the Word. And they're sitting there thinking, okay, let's get on with it. Let's, let's see the miraculous. Let's see the supernatural. Let's, let's see something great take place. They didn't understand the greatest thing that could take place was what was taking place when He was preaching the Word. Because it's through the Word not could they just be healed physically, they could be transformed eternally through the Word. They didn't get that. They were wanting to see the show. So the crowd's there, they see these four men bringing up their, their friend on this pallet, this, I don't know what it was, probably slab, a piece of wood with a, a thin quilt on it of some kind, providing him some cushion. But they got him there, and they they trying to make their excuses. Excuse, we've got to get there. Got hey, got a paralyzed man here, and nobody's moving. Nobody's moving out of the way. So the guys get together and say, "What are we going to do? We got to get him to Jesus. Got to get him to Jesus." They're looking around. Said one guy, "says I got an idea." There's always an idea guy. I got an idea. What's the idea? Let's get him down through the roof. What? <laughs> Yeah, come on, it's going to work. Let's get him there. We got, that's the only way we're going to get him there. we got to get him there. Now, and, and so you have to understand the houses in that day and time. They were just kind of like little blocks, little squares. Now, the roofs in that day and time, whenever they were putting a roof on, uh, you would have the roof up at the top, then you would lay uh, beams. 
across the roof, usually about three feet apart. And then you would take smaller boards, sticks, whatever, and you would cross them across the beams. Uh, you would try to fill up that, that area. Then, on top of that, uh, you would place thatch. You would get some type of vegetation. You would get grains, you would get straw, you maybe would get some palm prawns. You know, they had a lot of palm trees out that way, date palms. They would get those kind of things, they would weave them in, and they would put that on top of the beams, the sticks, the thatch. And then on top of the thatch, they would cover it with mud kind of to hold all that together. It was a clay. It's a clay mud. They would put on top of that, and then they would get clay tiles or thin slabs of stone, and they would put the tiles or the stones on top of the thatch, and the mud would make sure it held everything in place whenever it, it dried. Now, on the side of the house, most of the houses in Israel... Uh, they have a flat roof where you know they had the beams, the sticks, the thatch, and the mud, and the and the tiles. It was a flat roof, uh, and the families usually had a staircase on the side of the house where they would go up on the roof because it is hot in Israel and it's hot in Capernaum, and and so to get a little breeze, the family would go up on the roof. Uh, on the roof. Now, uh, they would go up on the roof and, and catch some breeze. Some of them would even pick, uh, pitch a kind of like a little canopy, a little tent thing, where they make sure they had some shade and catch the breeze. And, and that's where they'd hang out when it was hot. Because it was hot inside, the house would trap the heat. So they'd go up on the roof. So the men grabbed the pallet, took their friend, went up the staircase on the side of the house, and they made their way up on the roof. And they had to listen. Because they're listening for where Jesus is. So they got to make sure they don't end up putting Him through the roof back over here and Jesus on the other end of the house. So they listened. And they listened for the voice that was coming out of the house. And they were listening for the voice of Jesus. And they thought, I think He's right over here. And so then they started peeling back the tiles, digging through the mud and the thatch and the sticks, because Luke tells us they dug through the roof. So they dig through the roof, and then they're looking around and say, how are we going to get him down? We can't just drop him. That's not a good thing. Uh, so, so look, now remember, Peter was a fisherman. So there was probably some of his fishing rope, some of his fishing tackle up on the roof drying out. And so he yeah, has some fishing, that's a rope. So they got the ropes from the, the roof of Peter's house, and then they put them up under the, the pallet, and they started lowering him down through the roof. Can you imagine what Jesus must have thought when he's standing there teaching and doing stuff, and all of a sudden pieces of the roof start falling down? That'd be quite a sight. These are some determined men willing to do whatever it takes to get a hurting friend to Jesus. Question. If Jesus physically was here today and you had a friend that you know you had something wrong with them, maybe they had a withered hand, maybe they were paralyzed, maybe they had cancer, maybe they had heart disease, what would you do to get them to Jesus? 
what would you be willing to do? Bring them. No matter what it took, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter how much work, no matter how cost, what the cost might be, no, no matter if you had to give up something you wanted to do that day, if you had a friend, if you had a family member that was sick, diseased, hurting, and you could get them to Jesus, what would you be willing to do? What you might not realize is you have family members and you have friends that are far sicker than you could possibly imagine. You don't even have a depth of understanding of how sick a lot of people that you know really are. And their sickness is not something you can see. It's not something you can take them to the doctor and they can have a CAT scan or an MRI to be able to tell what's wrong with them. But the problem is they've sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the reality is they're walking dead people. Because Ephesians 2 says they are lost and dead in trespasses and in sin. And they're headed to an eternity in a place called hell. Question. What are you doing to get them to Jesus? He's the only one that can do anything for them. It's a real shame to me that most of the time we are just like this crowd. Far more interested in how Jesus can fix our problems than we are in Him being able to fix us. We're far more concerned about the things we can see than the things that are within that are eternal. Let's think about it. We spend most of our time, when we pray for other people, what we tend to pray about is some sickness or disease. When we, whenever we mention somebody's name in prayer and we call their name in prayer, most of the time it's about a physical issue. When the greatest need of all of us is deep within in our relationship with God. Well, these men decide they need to get this man to Jesus. So, they just know He's going to heal this man. These are people who have faith. For instance, right here where it says, when Jesus saw their faith. They had faith. They had faith in Jesus. Now, who's the there? when he saw their faith. Well, apparently, he's referring to the four men. The four friends. He saw their faith. They had faith that Jesus could heal. But I also think the man on the pallet, the paralytic, had faith. Now, I don't know about the kind of faith the four men had. 
The four men, apparently, we know they had faith that Jesus could heal their friend. But the man on the pallet, the paralytic, he had a different kind of faith. And Jesus knew this. We're going to see in verse 8, he was able, Jesus knew what was in each of the people in the room. He knew what was in their heart. So, what happens? So when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. A few things. Number one, put yourself in the position of the friends. What did they have the man there for? To get healed. What's the crowd there for? They want to see the show. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, on the one hand, I think the friends must say, man, here we go to all this trouble, digging through the roof. We might end up in jail tonight for this. And, and, and uh, he's not even going to heal him. He just says, your sins are forgiven. What do you want from the Lord? Remember, I asked Kenzie, what's your hopes and your dreams? Well, she wanted to go to Bath and Body. What's the greatest desire of your heart? I mean, seriously, what is it? What is it you want from the Lord more than anything else? Son. Hmm. You see, Jesus saw this man had a different quality of faith. He calls him son or my child. He sees him in relationship with him. A connection with him. Son. The only way you can come into relationship with Jesus is by saving faith. By God's grace, through the faith that He gives. Beyond his ability to say he's a healer, he's God. Your sins are forgiven to you. Why? Why did he deal with that issue? Well, it could be, as we're going to see in just a moment, there are scribes, religious leaders, theologians that are there. The scribes and the rabbis of the day taught, and it's even in Scripture, that they, they taught that, that no healing is granted unless first sin is forgiven. Because their understanding, their mindset in that day and time was sickness, disease, and trouble were the result of your sin. And somehow God is displeased with you. And because God is displeased with you, He's going to inflict you with some type of sickness or disease or some kind of trouble. That was their mindset. That's why they're going to encounter a blind man later on and the disciples are going to ask Jesus the question, 
who sinned, this man or his parents, that this man was born blind? Of course, Jesus is going to say, neither one sinned. This man was born this way for the glory of God. But the mindset of the people was, sickness, disease came as a result of sin. And so now God is punishing you. So maybe in the context of their understanding of things, Jesus is saying this. It could be, could be, we don't know, this is just a you know, possibility. Maybe the paralysis came about by some sinful action the man was committing. And as a result of the sinful action he was committing, he, he was paralyzed. Or it could be because the man himself had the mindset that maybe I'm paralyzed because of my sin. And for whatever length of time he's been paralyzed, he's been laying on that pallet, thinking through, how have I sinned against God? And maybe he had this, and apparently he did, a deep awareness within. Whatever the context of his mind frame, he understood he was a sinner. He understood that his sin had consequences. And he understood that he needed the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God for his sin. Jesus knowing what's in his heart, in his mind, says, Son, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, the friends thought the young man's greatest need was the physical healing. But the young man knew, and Jesus knew, that the primary thing that he needed was forgiveness of his sin. Some of the scribes were sitting there. Now, the scribe, there was the, the group of the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees were the legalists. The Pharisees had designed a lot of their own laws that they imposed on the nation of Israel that went way beyond the laws that God had given. And, and, and they were the guys who were sticklers to make sure that everybody followed their rules. Not God's rules, their rules. That's the Pharisees. The Sadducees were a little bit like that, but the Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels, and they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and that's why they were so sad, you see. Old preacher's joke. All right. Old preacher's joke. They were legalists too. The scribes. Most people misunderstand the scribes. They think they're the ones who copied Scripture. No. The scribes were the theologians. They were the most biblically knowledgeable of the Old Testament scrolls. They were the ones who had the responsibility for interpreting the Old Testament to the people. They were the deep thinkers. They were the scribes. So the scribes... Are, now, Mark's going to mention the scribes several times. This is the first time they show up. Okay, So this is the first time he mentions them. And, he, and so some of the scribes were sitting there. Now, notice, the crowds are packed in. They're all standing. But who's the only people that mention sitting? Scribes, seat of honor. These are guys, everybody else has to respect us. So they're sitting there. 
and their reasoning in their hearts. Now, they're not saying anything out loud. Boy, what they're saying. <laughs> how would you like it? Now, I know you don't ever say anything bad or wrong to people, but how would you like it if people knew what was in your heart? They were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man... Now, that is a term of derision. They don't call him, why does this rabbi, why does this teacher... Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? What blasphemy was he speaking? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They said, nobody can forgive sin except God. And they were right. What they said was right. Nobody can forgive sin but God. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, it says, but you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thankfully. Then the Lord, now when Moses asked to see God, and, Mo, and God hides him in the cleft of a rock, puts his hand over him, passes by him. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Isaiah 45, 25. I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Notice that your forgiveness of your sin is not about you. It's about Him. It's about putting His greatness and His grace on display. For my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, that is through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through Him, everyone who does what? Believes. Is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. The law reveals your sin. The law says, this is God's standard. This is what holiness looks like. In order to get into God's holy presence, you've got to do this, you can't do that. And we look at it and we say, I can't live up to that. That's the point. It shows you you're a sinner who needs a Savior. You need your sin forgiven. Who can forgive sin but God alone? The inference is here they're saying... Is this man saying he's God? Or is he saying that he can do something that only God can do? Either way, they're saying, this is blasphemy. Blasphemy. Now, the scribes are looking for Jesus to say something contrary to the law so that they can get rid of him. So they can kill him. They say, well, did you just hear what he said? But they're saying it in their hearts. They're not saying it out loud. Verse 8, but immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason these, about these things in your hearts? Listen, I want you to understand something, friend. Outwardly, you might do your best to look good in front of people and to act good in front of people. Please understand, God knows what's in your heart. 
God knows what's in your mind. Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Listen, only God knows your heart. You don't even know your own heart. You think you do, but you don't. Jeremiah says, who can understand the heart of a man? The heart is desperately wicked above all things. The only one who really knows who you are is God. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1 Kings 8, 39. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. 1 Chronicles 28, 9. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all not just what you do and what you think, but all the intents of the, the thoughts. Why you think it? Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Psalm 139. I love Psalm 139. Beginning in verse 1. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, You know it all. Jesus knows who we are. Verse 9. He asked them, why are you reasoning such in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk? Now, it should have freaked out the scribes. They should have known something about who they were talking to when he says, hey, let me tell you what's in your heart right now. Let me tell you what you're thinking. That should have made them pay attention, but they miss it. And so he says, which is easier to say? I know what's in your hearts. I know why, why are you reasoning like this in your hearts. Which is easier to say to this paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise and take up your bed and walk? Now, which is easier? To verify that it's been done. Well, which is easier to say and know that, it, that it's going to be done or it's not? On the one hand, we say it's harder to say your sins are forgiven. It's easier for Jesus to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But the reality is, for the crowd and the scribes that are there, the easiest thing for Jesus to say is, your sins are forgiven. Because how do they know His sins is forgiven? He is saying how they know it's actually done. But for Him to say, Christ, take up your bed and walk, now, this is where the rubber meets the road. Does He get up and walk? Or does He just lay there? So Jesus said, which is easier? Then what does He say? But that you may know that the Son of Man, now He identifies Himself. They just said, who does this man think He is? Only God can forgive sin. Now Jesus tells them who He is. He quotes from the book of Daniel. The Son of Man, that's a messianic title. So that you may know the Son of Man has the power, the authority, ability on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, 
I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. And immediately, the miracles Jesus did, immediately he arose, stood up. Well, that got their attention. Took up the bed, rolled up that quilt that was on the pallet, and went out from the presence of them all. Went back to that. He did exactly what Jesus told him. Now remember, the leper did not do what Jesus told him to do. He was the leper saved not. He wasn't because he didn't obey. He did not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. He went and did his own thing. This man's son, your sins are forgiven. He's saved. He's saved. His sins are forgiven. And he, how, the proof of that is in what he does. He does exactly what Jesus told him to do. He got up, took up his bed, went to his house. What's the next phrase? This is, this is an understatement. I love it when Scripture understates things. So that they were all amazed. <laughs> I imagine so. And they glorified God saying... We never saw anything like this before. I would that the Lord would so work in this place and see such a demonstration of His power in transforming hearts and lives that when people are here, they would say, I have never seen anything like this before. Question. I'm good. You got time. Question. Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Why did Jesus have the authority? Now remember, this is all about the authority of Jesus. Why did Jesus have the authority at this point in time to say, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because He knew He came as the Lamb of God to go to a cross where on that cross He would make an atonement for this man's sin. Jesus would take all of the sin that was in the person who was paralyzed outwardly. His real problem wasn't that he was paralyzed outwardly. The problem is he was paralyzed and lifeless and dead inside. But Jesus knew the day was coming when he would take all of that man's sin and the Father would put all of that man's sin into His own body as Jesus was hanging on the cross. And then God the Father would take the fullness of His wrath and His judgment that that man deserved, and He would pour it out into the person of His own Son. And Jesus would receive the wrath that He deserved. And Jesus would pay the debt that that man owed to a holy God in full. He would shed His sinless blood because without the, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole 
again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus knew He was going to shed His sinless blood in order to cleanse this man of all of his sin. This man knew that Jesus alone could forgive. And he, that's where his heart was. That's why Jesus forgave him. He knew what was in the scribe's heart, but he knew what was in this man's heart. He knew he understood his sin, and he knew he needed the forgiveness of God. So God, in human flesh, knew his heart, said, Son, your sins are forgiven, because Jesus knew he would die in this man's place. He would receive what that man deserved. He would satisfy the justice and the holiness of the Father. He would die for this man. So Jesus knew He could forgive this man. His forgiveness was on the basis of what He would do on Calvary's cross. In the tomb and in the empty tomb. And on that basis, He said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Question. Why do you need to become a Christian Why do you need to come to Jesus? You don't need Him because He can fix your marriage. You don't need Him primarily because He can fix your problems. You don't need Him because He can help you fix your problems with your kids. You don't need Him so He can give you more stuff. You need Him for one reason. Only one. Just one. The boy is at a big one. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. What are you going to do about your sin? That's the bottom line. That's the question. The one question you have to answer. What are you going to do about your sin? You don't need Him to feel good. You don't need Him for all those other things. You don't need Him to kind of make you feel better emotionally. What are you going to do about your sin? You know, a lot of people think, well, why do I need religion? Why do I need God? Why do I need religion? I'm doing fine. I got everything I need. You know, I got house. I got money. I... Um, I, you know, I got a good job. I got, I got stuff. I, everything I need, I've got. I mean, yeah, but what are you going to do about your sin? Your sin against God. You see, the wages of sin is death. Physically, spiritually. Separated and cut off from God forever in a place called hell where you're going to be experiencing and receiving the wrath and the judgment of a holy, just God throughout all of eternity because of your sin. 
what are you going to do about your sin? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Well, I remind you, they burn leaves. You can't be good enough. If there's ever been in your life even one sinful thought, that's enough to send you to eternity in a place called hell. But let's face it, you've got a lot more than one sinful thought. You know that. The price for sin has to be paid. So this is, this is the way it works out. Someone has to pay the price receiving the wrath and the judgment of God because of your sin. Your sin has to be paid for. Has to. Or God is not just. And He's not righteous. He is. So the price for sin, your sin's got to be paid. It can be paid one of two ways. Either you can pay the price, which is what you deserve, and you can spend eternity under the wrath and the judgment of God in hell, or, or you can accept by faith the price that Jesus paid whenever He lived a sinless life, went to Calvary's cross, shed His sinless blood, and died to pay the price for sin. That's the only two ways it can be dealt with. Either you're going to pay the price throughout all of eternity, or you can accept the price by faith, receive the price by faith that Jesus paid. Now when you do that, if you decide you want to receive the price that Jesus paid, God's going to give you faith to believe. And what you're going to believe it so strongly, number one, you're going to believe you're a sinner, and that knowledge you're a sinner against the Holy God is going to lead you to a godly sorrow, a grief over the fact that you've sinned. That godly sorrow is going to drive you to repent of that sin, which is turn away from that sin and say, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. And He's going to do more than just clean you up. He's then going to take you and change you. Make you into a new creation. When you repent of that sin, you place your faith in Jesus and the fact that whenever He died, He died for you. He paid the price you should have paid. And He's going to give you that faith that's going to cause you to believe that so strongly, you're then going to surrender. And say, Lord, at this moment, my life belongs to You. I surrender to You as the Lord of my life. And You take with me, me and do with me whatever You choose to do. In that moment, all of your sin is forgiven. Forgiven. Cleansed. He makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. All of the old things pass away. Now everything has become new. And then He takes His Holy Spirit and puts Him inside of you. Never to leave you, never to forsake you, to be with you always. And from that day forward, you get to live in fellowship and union with God. That's salvation. 
And that's why you need to be saved. And that's how you are saved. So what are you going to do? Today, if you hear His voice, if there's something inside you saying, you know, you know what that guy's telling you is, is, is the truth. He's really telling you the truth. And you know that you need it. You know that you need to do something in your life because of your sin. Not because of your problems. Because of your sin. And if the Holy Spirit of God is giving you the ability to understand that and granting you the faith to repent, to believe, to surrender, do it now. Do it now. I love that song, It Is Well. You know, it means a lot to a lot of folks. My favorite part of that song is, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to His cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Amen? I stand before you and I want you to know I was a sinner lost and dead in trespasses and in sin and could do nothing to fix it myself. And I was about as religious as a young man at the time as you could be. I was in church every time the doors were open. I was president of the Youth for Christ Club. I founded, I started the Youth for Christ Club at Goose Creek High School. I founded and started the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Goose Creek High School. I was preaching in pulpits as a young teenager. I was preaching. I was teaching Sunday school. And then the Lord brought me to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God's raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And I thought back to what my, I thought the day was I was saved when I was little. And I remember talking to my preacher and answering his questions. And I remember my preacher praying that God would forgive me of my sin. And my preacher prayed that I would be saved. I never did. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God's raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then I started thinking about all my good works I've done. Oh, but we're saved by grace. Through faith, not of works. Lest anybody should boast. Then it says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, surrender control to Him. I had never done that. I just knew this is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to pray a prayer. I was supposed to say this, and then everything's taken care of. Then I'd be baptized. I'd take care of everything. Mm. No. No, 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 no. If there's no repentance, personal repentance, there's no salvation. Turning from sin. No repentance, no salvation. Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall also perish. 
I believed in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. I believed all that. But here was the sticking point. I had no concept that day whenever I did something about myself. I had no concept of saying, Lord, I'm giving control of my life to you. I'm surrendering. I, I didn't understand that concept. No one ever talked to me about that. I didn't know it. It's right there in Romans 10.9. If you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just Savior. Lord. And so, there it's 16 years old. The Holy Spirit helped me to understand that. And I who was lost and dead in trespasses and in sins was cleansed, forgiven, and raised from the dead. And I ain't got over it since. Amen. Amen. Yeah. How about you? What are you going to do with your sin? What are you going to do about your sin? Maybe you've never done anything. Today's the day. Maybe you wanted to do something and a well-meaning person, I don't doubt they were but they didn't really explain the Gospel. They just didn't. But you've heard the Gospel now. I know you have. Are you certain? Is it settled? Is it not about what you did, but about what He did? And how you surrendered to Him? Well, today is the day.